God damn it, really? Hey, everybody, welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. Well, welcome to another episode of I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. You've been a busy boy out on the road. How's uh, How are all the shows been going? Pretty good. Any meltdowns from the crowd? Any heckling? Anything interesting? Uh, Solving world problems one joke at a time out there? The audiences have been pretty well behaved. In LA, there were some people that were wanting to do a little chit-chatting, and I gave them a little spanking. Sometimes you got to put some audience members in the corner, and then sometimes they kind of like it because they still are looking for mommy and daddy. They're looking for the boundaries. But sometimes they don't like it because in their brains, they may be children, but they're not children. They're adults. And then they feel like they're entitled to do whatever they want because they bought the ticket. I've experienced that as well. Yeah, it's alcohol. It's just drinking, isn't it? It's always always alcohol. Right. People that aren't drunk, they know how to behave themselves. They know how to act like a real human. And then the people that are drinking sometimes forget. Yeah. Yeah. Does it, uh, I'm curious what you think about this with people's relationship with alcohol. Some people think, was that famous uh, saying from Tombstone in, in wine, in wine, Veritas, or whatever, truth in wine. Some people think that the true you comes out when you drink because you're uninhibited. I'm not sure that's the case. I kind of think you regress when you drink, and that's not even really who you are. Your inhibitions, you know, are removed so. You just kind of do whatever you feel like doing. I think most people regret doing things that, you know, might hurt somebody else's feelings. And they might not be aware of that while they're drinking. And then when they get sober, they're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Right. But you're not really, you're, that's the problem is you're not really thinking when you're drunk about, you're not really thinking too deeply. You're just kind of, you know. I will say this, when I was in LA, man, people were, I did see some people, not at my shows, but I did see some people out in public that were wound tight. Yeah. They're wound wound tight in LA. Yeah. That's the feeling I get as well. And my brief dalliance is there. I think it's a California thing. Maybe. I don't know. I saw a guy, (laughs) I saw, we were, I was eating outside with a friend of mine and, um, and there were we were right next to this kind of pretty busy sort of street in this suburb, like suburb kind of restaurant district. And this guy was kind of it was one of those you know those like roundabout those round they had, they're like the new way to where you know instead of four streets meeting. It's like a little roundabout where you're going around in a circle. I think those are actually quite old European, but yeah, I know what roundabouts are. Yeah, that's like a, I feel like that shit comes from like Sweden or something. <laughs> it's like the polite way to fucking, yeah, just figure it out. Anyway, yeah. so he was going into one of those and the guy in front of him had like stopped or couldn't go anywhere because the car in front of him couldn't go anywhere. And this guy in the car started screaming like he was being attacked, like being knifed to death. And it it looked like a guy around 30, maybe a software engineer, and his windows were down, and he just started screaming like, ah! ah!" (laughs) And it was just because this guy had like, wasn't moving. 
in his car and then he started moving the guy started moving and then started moving and he but it was so like what why are you so wound up dude that's like pure infantile i'm just gonna scream when i don't get my way or when i'm uncomfortable like a baby yeah he was having a day i was like man i'm glad i'm not that dude that's for sure well you went from like nashville to la like you kind of cut a swath across the whole country did you do like denver did you do something in between no i did so i did nashville and chicago a couple weeks ago and then this last week and i did phoenix san diego la two days in la awesome well this weekend i did a private event for a very nice lady's 40th birthday party and it always amazes me when these people hire an artist like you or the artist I was playing with instead of like a cover band or something. Because they were very sweet, but here's other things that they were very drunk. And then they just stood in front of the stage and talked the whole time. And it was like, we basically just played a show. Like we played a show that we would play in front of our crowd at a club. Right. We just did it at a birthday party with like 50 people who didn't really know our music that well. Right. And those are such interesting gigs. And we had to drive. Our hotel was not near this place and I was driving. So no drinkies for me. So I'm just like completely soberly taking this whole thing in. Just all of it. Playing all the songs from 100% Muscle Memory. Do you ever do that? I don't really. Like I have to. I have to address whatever situation I'm in. Like whatever the environment is or whatever the the gig is i'm going to address it so i've played a lot of birthday parties where somebody hires you they love you now you're playing in front of a bunch of people who've never heard your music uh who don't really care about you and then there's a couple people they do but they're also they're having a good time and it's their party and they're talking and they're ignoring you and then everybody else is ignoring you but I'm going to talk about that if I'm on stage. I'm not going to just like play the show and pretend like everything's cool. I'm going to like go up there and go, hey, these are tears that are coming flowing from my eyes right, right now because you guys are talking. And I know that the people that are talking are not hearing me talk about my tears. But then like as I talk about it, because I'll talk about it for a while. Like some people just talk talk about their tears for, I don't know maybe five or 10 seconds, but I'll take six or eight minutes in between songs talking about my tears. And eventually people are like, Hmm, what's this guy talking about? Oh, tears. What tears? Oh, he's crying. And, uh, so I'll, I'll address the situation. I'm yeah, I'm not going to just go up there and here's what I'm not. I'm not a masked monkey. Some people are masked monkeys. I'm not, I'm going to talk about my feelings. I'm going to let people know what's going on with me. And they're going to either dig it or not dig it, but I'm not going to pretend like it's okay what's going on. Well, that's exactly what we did. We just pretended it was okay. Yeah. We wanted to just get through it and get home. I don't play that game. Yeah. Well, you are perhaps wiser than we are. It's not even about being wiser. It's just if I... There's a weird thing. If I don't do that, I've seen people do it. I've seen I've seen people do it. And I'm amazed kind of actually when I've seen it. I remember this one time I was playing a gig 
And this chick, everybody was just ignoring her. And she was just smiling and singing her songs. Yeah, like she was playing at fucking Mar- Madison Square Garden. Right. And I was just like, that is so amazing. Because I, I just would never be able to do that. So I think it's probably better to be able to just ignore all of the bullshit and just play. But I can't. I can't. You have to go to a... <laughs> you have to go to a different place. You have to really retreat somewhere. And I don't know, maybe it's better to not retreat into the feelings house and to just deal with the people. But you're being paid and it's just such a strange thing. It's just a strange transaction. Well, I when you're at the airport sometimes, like in Nashville, I saw it twice in Nashville when I got there. There are like people playing at the airport and most people don't care oh, about yeah. those bands that are playing at the airport. And those guys are, they're good. They sound great. They're doing covers, but they sound great. The guitar playing is good. Their voice is good. Songs are good. But everybody's ignoring them. And that's like a different thing. I'm like, hey, I'm here. I'm the greatest rock star to ever walk the planet. And you guys are ignoring that. You need to know that that's what's going on. I can't just be up there going, like, I'm not the jukebox. I'm the greatest of all time, motherfuckers. Right. So feast upon this. Or if you don't, you're going to hear, you're going to hear this. Thanks, daddy. (laughs) Give you a lesson in history, modern history, which is what is going on right now. Do, have you ever done that? And the people who hired you are like, Hey, great job. I know people were a little talky. Uh, the part where you talked about your tears for eight minutes, instead of playing two or three more songs, we didn't quite love that part. Like, have you ever gotten any pushback on that? Uh-uh, never. Well, there you go. Man, I had this one gig. I think I, I think you played with me, that Retail Live, oh, those yeah. Retail Live shows. Yes. So we did a bunch of those. That's a company that sells retail space. Uh, they sell, like, they rent or sell real estate, like, who fucking buildings knows? to to retailers or something? We did. Here's, Anyways, here, my recollection of that is that we were on a like a two week tour, um, and then we did four or five of those that kind of anchored the tour. That I, you know, I've done this for yeah. a long time. They were big paydays for you. They helped make sense of paying for the bus and paying for the tour. And then we'd be playing our own like sold out awesome shows at like the Belly Up and ask in uh, San Diego or the Troubadour. And then we'd go play in this hotel conference room where everybody would stand in the corner farthest away from the band. Right. Now, I kept playing those, and every time I'd play, they'd have, like, we'd have... So we did a bunch of them with the band, then I did it with, like... so. Then I did some solo ones. And then finally, the last solo one I did, she's like, oh, that was the best one you did because you didn't... You weren't very loud, and then we could talk the whole time. (laughs) That's why it was good. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, and shit. I think that was the last one I did. But I would have kept doing those. Now, n- now me knowing what the deal is, maybe I could have gotten through it. Sometimes I did play this gig on an aircraft carrier once for this guy who was retiring as the president of this national fraternity. And so there was all fraternity dudes who, in my mind, fraternity guys, like I just remember them from when I was like 18 and 19, yeah, douchebags. 20. And I was like a hippie and I was a freak. And they were like the enemy. Like, 
you, they could actually beat you up and stuff. They caught you like if you're like Friday night, Saturday night, and you're walking around West Campus and you ran into some drunk fraternity guys, you could actually get your ass beat. Yeah. And so that's how I kind of think of them even now as an adult. And so it was like a whole room full of these guys, like a thousand of those guys, all grown up now. And probably nice guys, you know, I don't know, you know, you know, when you're a kid, you do all kinds of crazy shit that later on you go, well, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore, you know, and I'm sure that's what these fraternity guys are like now, who knows, but in my mind, they're all like these guys and those guys ignored me so hard and the guy that hired me, I did two sets, 45 minute sets and it was, I was on this stage that was maybe three foot by three foot and maybe a, a a foot tall. It was the smallest stage I've ever played on. And I played 45 minutes. And then when I was done, I talked to the guy who hired me, who was rich and nice. And he was like, man, great, great job. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to go do another 45 minutes of this where I'm getting ignored. And, and that was like, I, at that gig, I didn't do the talking about my tears and stuff. I was just like, well, it's not going to work. Like I could tell right away. Like it's just not, it's just not, I'm not going to get any traction. Nobody's going to pay attention to me. The tears soliloquy is not going to work on frat boy, you know, grown up frat boys. I'm actually just going to get, I'm going to work. I'm just going to do these songs. And I did them and I got through it. And that guy was super nice. And he was like, Hey, do you want to go see Hamilton? I'm like, are those tickets like a thousand dollars? And he's like, yeah, no problem. How many tickets you want? I'm like, I'll let you know next time I'm in town. Of course I never did. Oh man. But I mean, he was, he enjoyed the show and thought I did a great job, but it was weird. It's interesting. Uh, you talking about frat boys growing up, made me think of the movie promising young woman. Did you see that movie? Kind of a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, it's about this chick who, what they make you think is that she's, She's basically pretending to be drunk. She's going out and meeting douchebags in bars, letting them take her home, and she's pretending to be drunk to see if they take advantage of her. And when they inevitably do, she makes them pay. And then what you find out is her best friend committed suicide because she was raped by a bunch of frat boys. She starts dating this new guy, and it's the first guy that she believes that she can be in love with since she was traumatized, and it's Bo Burnham's character. And then come to find out, he's like a frat boy douchebag. Isn't that the plot? And then at the end, it's like all these grown up frat boys. Yeah, you find out when he when he was a kid, he was he was one of the guys that was there, right? Her- or he filmed it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see Barbarian yet? Yeah. What'd you think? Let's the hear it. Dumb. Oh God! Here we go. That movie was so. T- First of all, that movie is not scary. At all, that movie, you're like you're, that movie's gonna be so scary, dude. There was nothing scary. No, about that you movie. asked me if it would make you afraid to be in your house, and the answer no. to that is yes. The answer is no. What if you What if you opened a door you didn't know existed in your house? You pulled the right book from the fireplace or whatever, and a door opened, dark tunnel descending into the ground. Would you go I'll down tell there? You, no, I would immediately leave the house and put it up for sale and never go back <laughs> in the house. Of course not, dude. That lady. First of all, she's like, mm, I don't even know if I should go in this house. I don't know about this guy. And then she's going down into the dark tunnel. Fuck no. As soon as she saw that, she was like, I'm leaving. 
Did it not remind you of martyrs? She could have left at any time. She, they, that chick did so many dumb things. Like you, I know, I get it. It's a haunted. It's it's a horror movie, so they have to do dumb shit. No, that movie was dumb. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't like martyrs where I was mad that I saw it. Like it was fine. I'm glad I saw it. It was fine. It was funny. It made me laugh. I, a lot, sh- I should have actually. known that you weren't prepared to appreciate it because the last thing that you watched that you loved was Paris Hilton's baking show. That's not the last thing I watched that I loved, <laughs> but I did love that show. I didn't, I only watched about half of, of one episode. It's not even like I watched the whole series. I'll tell you what I'm watching now that's the best. This is the best movie. It's not a movie, the best series. The fucking new fixer upper, The Castle, which is like a couple years old. It's from like 2020. It's on HBO. But they just, I guess HBO bought all the old fixer upper episodes and stuff. So I'm watching that. I'm watching the newest season of Fixer Upper, Coming Home or Welcome Home. And I'm watching the chick, whatever her name, Joe, Joe Gaines's cooking show. Dude, I love Chip and Joanna Gaines. I love them. I know. And I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Everybody loves them. I'm sure they're massively more. I'm sure many more people have seen that than Barbarian. But you are just not. You're you're in a place where that's what you're responding to. Like that's what you're watching. That's what's bringing you joy. I get why a movie like Barbarian is not going to do it for you. Dare I even dare I even suggest the new Cronenberg film Crimes of the Future, which I loved. You seen that? I've seen it. And that movie was. Those scenes when he's in the chair, oh yeah, are so dumb. I loved them. They're like it's almost like a Saturday night. It's almost like a Saturday night life parody of a movie. Right. I was just like, "What is he trying to be funny?" I thought it was horrifying. I was really creeped out by it. It's the chair that like helps him digest his food. I'll tell you what I watched. I watched the German remake of All Quiet on the Western Front, which, by the way, the German title. Is nichts zu sehen um, auf West. So the the title on you know it's obviously based on a famous book, All Quiet on the Western Front. In German, it's nothing to see here or nothing to hear here in the West. <laughs> I like That's it. That's the title. Oh my god, it's so funny. I Anyways, that. that's that basically is just like a examination of the horrors of World War One. But the thing that's so cool about it. Is it's the Germans. Like every war movie you've ever seen, the Germans are always like the bad. Yeah, they're the enemy. We're the good guys. They're over there. They're trying to shoot you while you're lighting your cigarette. You know, they're the guys throwing mustard gas at you. So you never, I've never seen a a war movie. I've seen a lot of like Nazi movies about Nazis and stuff, but never a World War I movie or even a World War II movie, really, where it wasn't Nazis where it's just German soldiers and you realize, oh yeah, they're just like American soldiers. They're just boys. Yeah. They're going to war. They're scared. They've been, they've been sold a fucking bunch of lies by these dicks and they're going out there to fucking become men. And then they get out there and they're like, oh, this sucks. Yeah. This is horrible. And, uh, a lot of the Russian soldiers are like, you know, there are these videos leaking out of these Russian soldiers that are like defecting and shit. And they're like, we do not want to fight this goddamn war. This is insane. Oh, for sure they don't. Because no they're not does. giving them any supplies and stuff. There's a pretty gnarly video uh, where the 
it's like some sergeant or general or whatever. He's, he's telling them, he's kind of just telling them what they're able to provide and what they're not and what they need to do if they like get, get cut or get shot. And it's just so bleak. There's no toilet paper. And these are all like 18, 19, 20 year old dudes with their whole lives ahead of them that are like taking in this information. Like, mm-hmm. and when will the first opportunity be for me to run across in the Ukraine and surrender? Or they'll at least give me toilet paper to wipe my ass with. I'm telling you, man, war is no joke. When you put it in that perspective, playing the private party, not so bad. Not so bad. Yeah, that's true. I watched, I was watching All Quiet on the Western Front at the airport for because I had a five-hour delay that eventually got turned into a cancellation that got turned into two hours more waiting to get a voucher, which turned into another hour getting to the hotel at one o'clock in the morning and then having to leave the hotel at 5 a.m. to go back to the airport for three hours. Wow. So I was doing all that. And then the whole time I was like, yeah, this is better than this is better than trench warfare. Yeah. Little thing called perspective, but not much better. (laughs) No, just barely, barely better. It's basically fighting a senseless, needless war as a pawn in the uh, endless chess game of bureaucrats, right a tick below that, playing a private party and getting paid lots of money, but they're not paying attention to you. I'll tell you what I was not doing, which because I saw other people doing it, and as I saw other people doing it, I'm like, and again, this is drunk people. This is It's always drunk people, by the way. Right. I saw a lady berating this person that was working at the airport because her flight was canceled or she couldn't get on the flight. Now, this person that she was berating they don't own American Airlines. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like they have a, a fleet of of airplanes that they've bought and manufactured. And now they're just hanging out at American Airlines and, and deciding willy-nilly who flies and who doesn't. And they have a red phone directly to the president of the airline that they can immediately call yeah. and solve some dickhead's problem. This is just somebody who has the shittiest job in the world, who has no power and no control over anything. And this lady is laying into them like, fuck you. I've been waiting here for three days. Fuck you. I was just like, what? And then I, and I looked at her and I was like, oh, that's a drunk 45 year old woman. Wow. Anyways, I was extra nice to everybody. Right. Because I was in line for an hour and a half to get this hotel voucher. And and when I got to the lady, I was just like, Hey, how are you doing? Are you, why are you here so late? It's like a it's a midnight. She's like, Oh, this is when I get in. I kind of like working this late because there's a lot of red eye flights, I guess, out of LA. Anyways, she was such a nice lady. Everybody I that I dealt with was super nice and very helpful and but it sucked, dude. And I hate American Airlines, by the way. I've been there, too. I've been there where I've been done wrong by the airline. But I'm smart enough to know that the person behind this counter right here has no control over what just happened. And I'm going to get more of what I want if I treat them like a human being. Yeah. And I'm just going to feel better as a person. Like, I'm you know, I'm not going to win the nicest guy award ever. But I do remain neutral. And I very rarely do I give people shit or, like, take out my shit on them because i know that they don't know they don't know right they're working behind the counter at lax dude i'll tell you which guy was pissed off at though so on on the beginning of the trip i had to go so my first flight was into phoenix and 
I'm going in Southwest, as I always do. I'm in the first 15, so I'm going to have a place. I've got a roller. I've got a roller bag, and I've got my guitar. Yeah. I've been on at least 400 Southwest flights with that exact configuration. Yeah, yeah. Minimum. I'm giving the guy my ticket, and he looks at me, and he goes, oh, no. You're not going on with two big bags. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I don't want to argue with him because, again, because I'm smart and I'm not drunk. And so, okay, what do I have to do? Go over there. Now, I'm in line. They're they're letting people on. I've paid extra money to be at the head of this line. Right. He goes, go over to that ticket, you know, go over to that lady over there, the customer service. And check your bag and then come see me. I'm like, oh. so I go over there, get check my guitar because the other thing I didn't want everything to get destroyed in my roller bag. Come back and he's like, just leave the guitar here. I'll take care of it. Instead of like, take it to the end of the bridge. You know, you take it to the end of the bridge because he was like, yeah, yeah. he suspected I would probably try to sneak on the plane, which I probably would. What a shithead. And so I left the guitar there and then got on the plane and then I was seething the whole time. And then I was like, I know this motherfucker's not going to put my guitar on the plane. And then I'm not going to be able to do my show or I'm going to have to find some guitar at the last minute. But sure enough, it showed up and it was fine. And then I realized, you know what? I'm going to start just checking my bags. I've had, I've put myself through the ringer for years trying to get my fucking guitar and my roller bag on the plane. Yeah, just check that roller bag. I'm checking both. I'm checking my guitar from now on, and I'm checking a giant... And I, I'm not taking a small roller bag. I'm going to take a giant roller bag, fill it full of merch. I never take merch. And I'm I'm completely doing things different now. So as much as I hated that guy, I'm going to travel. I'm going to... And then when I walk on that plane... You're carefree, baby. Dude, guess what I'm going to have? One thing, my iPad... Well, I wish I'd been with you because I would not have I would not have let that happen. And I've like I'm never rude to these people, but I here's another thing I have learned. All right, so if we're going to if we're going to take the responsibility away from them when things go wrong, right? We're going to hey, this is a shitty job and you're not the boss. Okay. I'm going to also treat them that way when I know they're giving me bad information. Some chick on the on the my flight the other day, I said, "Hey, what size plane is this? Is this am I going to be able to put my guitar in the overhead?" And she goes, "Oh, absolutely not. You're going to have to gate check it." And I'm like, okay. I was like, well, do you mind if I just check it out? And she's, she gives me the whole, <laughs> I mean, she, basically she's saying, I just told you what the deal was. But yeah, you know what? If you want to waste your own time and go check it out, fine by me. But here's your gate check tag. And I'm like, cool, thanks. I really appreciate it. I go, plenty of room on the plane. The flight attendants are like, the flight attendants like, yeah, definitely get it up there now. She's like, legally, we can't take your guitar out once you put it up there. And they were like, go, go do it now. They were cool. Oh, by the way, by the way, they can take it out because they've taken my guitar out and checked. Well, it I don't think they legally can. And in fact, they legally can't prohibit you from putting it on the plane because you work with it. Like you can cite this new law if you want to get technical about it. I've never had to do that. The last resort that I do is I'm like, hey, do you mind if I talk to the pilot? Because here's what I've learned about flying. Pilots are the papa bears. And I'll just pop my head in and they're like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, hey, guys, I'm a musician. I travel for a living. I'm not trying to be a prima donna. I just really need to make sure my guitar gets on the plane. Is there anything you guys can help me do? I've had pilots put my guitar in the fucking cockpit with them. And pilots are always cool. Pilots like musicians, especially if you're cool to them. Well, the other thing I've 
discovered too is if it's a small plane like an Embraer, they always have a closet. There's a closet. You can put it in the closet. But the 737s don't normally have a closet. That's why musicians fly Southwest though, because every plane is a 737 and can accommodate your guitar. Yes, they can. So sometimes you'll get that gate agent that's like, oh, I don't know about that one. And you're the guy that's flown 400 times, probably more than that guy who works for the airline. And you're going, hey, man, I'm not trying to sound like a dickhead, but I know that that's not true. I know. But the other thing I've discovered is that these people, that's all they have. They have nothing else going. They have nothing going in their lives. They have no families. They have no lives. They have nothing. So it's just this one little point of power. Yeah. They're the little dictator. And you recognize it immediately. And I'm like, I'm just going to be wasting my breath. Yeah. I don't like to let them win. But that's exactly what it is. It's completely arbitrary kind of power trip stuff. And I'm like, man, I'm not going to have my guitar get lost or like destroyed because you don't have a girlfriend because you, you're, you know, you're on, you play video games all night. Like I feel, I do feel like this guy like, liked hurting people. Like I feel, I I do because the way his whole attitude was like, I just feel like most of his relationships are him getting some satisfaction out of hurting somebody or most of his relationships are him being hurt. And so that's his one time to pay back the world. Mm. He just seemed like a, he seemed like a sadist, like the (laughs) vibe, the, the, no, the real vibe I got from him is like, Oh, this guy takes pleasure in people being unhappy. Well, that's a really gross character trait and someone should probably, the FBI should, Take a look at his uh, Amazon purchases. All right, we got to get out of here. We have solved a bunch of problems today. Um, I enjoyed talking with you. We're going to kick it this year really now. I have a few things to talk to you about in the Secret Weekly that we cannot talk about today on the show. Uh, otherwise, we get canceled or put in jail or whatever the current situation is. So we're going to go there now, have a little chit-chat. If you want to join us in the Secret Weekly, you can follow us on Patreon. It's $5 a month. You get a bunch of bonus stuff. And uh, we appreciate you. Come see us on the road. Look us up. You know what to do. We have other podcasts and other interests. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 